We are the Coin Boys, your average everyday crypto bros. This is Daniel Gutierrez, aka Danny Goots, and sitting across from me, it's Andy, producer BTW. Now, why am I speaking? For those of you who have listened to us in the past, Andy's usually the one who does the intros, and for those of you who are new to us, welcome. Um, but I wanted to introduce this one because Andy has loved crypto history, and he has loved internet history, gaming history. He's just so into this. So on the top of his list for uh, when we first started this was our gentleman who we're going to be talking to today. So I wanted to congratulate Andy on this one because this one was uh, yeah. this one made you – it was happy. He was happy. It was happy because, like, um, you know, the whole point of having a podcast is that we're creating an outlet where we can share our ideology, but we can also interview people and be a- able to ask the questions we want to ask. And – and honestly, we've had a lot of growth, and this allows us to get these interviews like John McAfee. And, and I really had a, an amazing time because, like Daniel said, I am so invested in internet history. Guess what? Bitcoin, cryptocurrency is a part of that timeline now, everybody. It's purely an internet-based product. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So not only that, we're going to go back in time with John because we're going to tell you – he's going he's gonna to tell us – where his upbringing was, and also tell us how he got into programming computers in the 60s. Yeah. Okay? And this is super interesting stuff, guys, and I'm so excited. And not only that, we talk crypto, we talk movies. We, we, talk, we talk quite a bit about it. You guys, I think you guys are going to really enjoy the interview. But before we uh, go to it, I definitely want to say, if you, uh, if you like us, rate us, uh, rate us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, subscribe, review. You can email us at thecoinboys. Sorry, the coinboys at thecoinboys.com or Twitter, Coinboys Podcast. Uh, we have a lot of real uh, fun interaction on there. So um, let us know what you think. Yeah, and I'm going to start this episode. We're going to go right into hearing uh, the upbringing. Where, did, where, did, where was he born? Where was John McAfee born? Enjoy the episode. Okay, so I was born in England at the end of World War II. Um, and uh, my father was an American soldier stationed in England. Uh, my mother was a, a proper uh, British lady married to a jeweler who was uh, fighting the war in France. So um, one of the most interesting stories uh, of my, my coming into this world was the fact that um, my father was having an affair, or my mother was having an affair with my father. Her husband was fighting in France. Um, it was a small town, and uh, my father used to sneak away from the base and spend nights with her. And I guess they had a romantic evening where he brought home, you know, dozens of candles and, and bottle of wine, and they set fire to the apartment over the jewelry oh, store. Oh my, oh my God. goodness! And naked had to climb out of a window, and there's a the whole town and the fire trucks <laughs> and everything, and my mother. And my dad naked in the street. So, needless to say, <laughs> needless to say, the the marriage to um to the jeweler uh, evaporated, I and um, you know, so that's how that's how she got with my dad. Wow. But I came I came to America when I was two. Uh, after my dad uh, got out of the service, he was stationed in in various places in Europe uh, after the war, um, and uh, moved to a, a little town in the heart of the Appalachians. Uh, one of the poorest regions of America, mm-hmm. a little town called Norton, a uh, coal mining area. Wow. And that's kind of where I've, I've spent my early years. 
Wow, uh, that's, that's that was a, that's an amazing a great story. story. <laughs> to be honest, I've never heard that. I was, thank you for that. So I am actually uh, I I grew up around computers as a kid in the '80s. My dad was very ahead of the time, so I actually am very fascinated by you know how you are actually technically a pioneer in the internet history. And is there anything you could tell us about how you got into computers and leading up to creating the the antivirus software? Uh, uh, McAfee, and I, I, I just think that would be cool for some people that in the crypto world don't know too much about that history as well, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I got into computers by accident. Um, I was in grad school, and um, good Lord, <laughs> when was this? Uh, I think 1968 in Blacksburg, Virginia, and um, I decided not to not to take the summer semester, and it just sort of took off. Um, I applied for two jobs. One was as an actu actu actuary as a, um, an insurance company, and the other was at a programmer trainee at uh, General Electric in their process automation computers. Now, I didn't tell them that I was just doing this temporarily, so they thought it was permanent. But in any case, I took the GE job because it paid $10 a month more. Okay, um, smart, right? <laughs> and um, and that's, that's the absolute truth. So, um, however... I was so fascinated by what I learned. Now, this is before, you know, you had monitors and keyboards, okay? This is where programming was done by flipping switches on the front panel wow. of, of these massive machines. Um, and, and so I cut my teeth on the most complex uh, part of, of, of computer applications, which is process automation. Uh, and my first job was automating uh, Australia iron and steels uh, rolling plant in Port Kembla in New South Wales. Now that's an extremely complex process involving massive rollers that uh, roll the steel and every time the steel goes through uh, its thickness is diminished by some some fraction and and so the uh, the speed of the steel coming out of the rollers is going to be greater than the speed going in. And so they were they were run by you know virtual artists, uh, men that that were controlling 15 rollers in a sequence uh, and the seal would come in at three miles an hour and go out at 75 miles an hour and it was cut into strips by things called flying shears which traveled along with the steel at the same speed snipped it off came back and did it again massively complex so we automated that process um, much to the dismay of the of the men who were paid a fortune uh, to run that operation without, you know, you know, destroying both the steel and the rollers, but but it was a great experience for me because I understood wow. exactly how hardware works and exactly how low-level software interfaces with hardware, which is really the, the magic part of computers, right? Yeah, right. And um, and so that was like extremely niche at the time. No one was doing that kind of thing. So no, and there were and and there were no courses on computer science. Good lord. That didn't come for another twenty years. Wow. It, it also uh, sounded like you have to you had to be like physically fit to work a computer back then. Well, well, yeah, actually, not physically fit, but you, like I said, you had no keyboards, you had no CRTs, no monitors. That came much later. Um, it was literally programming the front panels with zeros and ones. Um, and so, you know, so I understood machine code because we had to code in machine code. And for, for many of the things, because even assemblers uh, were not quite efficient enough. And then we had assembler language. I didn't even see a higher level language for three years. I, did, I thought that's all there was. 
Um, and of course, the higher the level, the further removed from the actual nuts and bolts of the machine you become. Until finally, if you got you know things like Fortran and, and COBOL back then, which are so far removed, you didn't have to understand anything about computers. It's just a little bit about logic. Hmm. So I was very fortunate to start at the ground floor. Um, and uh, my second job was with Univac, which was the second largest computer company uh, after IBM at the time, uh, designing operating systems. And so uh, that was a um, that was a fun uh, a proposition as well. So you know, I, I started out in technology and, and stayed in the very technical aspects of computer systems and, and programming for my entire life. Uh, C++ was the highest level language I ever used. Uh, and still preferred to uh, to code, you know, tight tight routines in assembly language. Wow. Well, I I have a quick question uh, just about that time, the early days of that technology, and, and this is just me asking. I don't know if ever anyone's asked you. Ha did you ever cross the path of Steve Jobs or Wozniak in those days, or any of those guys? Well, those yeah, of course. I mean, at parties and and social functions, and you know. Um, uh, gift donation time yes of course that's really but, cool but you know I, I wouldn't say that you know we were we were fast buddies you right. know, I, no. I, res I, res I respected all of these folks yeah uh, and the one I was closest to um, was um, the founder of, of Atari wow and uh, wow pardon that was oh, no I, I'm a gamer and I know a lot about the history of Atari and Steve Jobs worked for him uh, at one time yes he did yeah, yes, that's great. Did. So you were you uh, uh, tell us his name again. But I always say it Bushnell or, or uh, am I Nolan, Nolan, Nolan Bushnell. Yes. Got the last name. And right. As a matter of fact, we, we've stayed close. And and three years ago, I hired him when I was the CEO of MGT. I hired him. Well, actually, you know, contracted with him to be on our board, on the board of directors. who were, we were It was a public company. Good call. And, and um, you know, so he he, he accepted that. You know, he is, he's aged well, um, and he's just as bright as ever, one of the most brilliant men I've ever come across. I mean, I, yes, I, was, I was close to Nolan. Yes. I certainly knew, I certainly knew the, the Steves um, and Ellison, and, and certainly met Bill Gates a number of times, the most boring man on the planet. <laughs> and and I, would, I would drive a nail through my foot rather than have to have dinner with that man. So, um, Amazing. That's, yeah, That's... he's just seriously boring. Steve Jobs, <laughs> on the other hand, and Nolan, well, all of the, both Steves and Bushnell, and even Larry Ellison, uh, quite, yeah. the, quite the quite the characters, radically different, all of them, but serious characters, fun-loving folks. Yeah, I could only I can only imagine, only imagine. Uh, so so that okay, so you 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 learned before there were monitors, had a program, so. I guess, how did that get you over to the, the whole antivirus uh, uh, programming and software you made? Well, it, because you know, I started at the ground floor, uh, which, which really is the most complex level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really have a, a very solid understanding of the whole hierarchy of, you know, from the input-output devices um, to software interrupts to hardware interrupts. Uh, to how operating systems truly function, how they actually can multitask, and on and on and on. So I, I just understand it like like I understand my little finger, and I can move it whichever way I want. So uh, when the first virus was discovered, that was a, the Pakistani brain in 1986, 
uh, my brother-in-law read me this little article from the San Jose newspaper, and I said, give me that. And I read it again, and I go, virus? Virus? And they described it as moving from one computer to another. I'm going, motherfucker, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. So, so I threw down the newspaper, and I sat in a chair, and I was just you know, stroking my beard and thinking, and go, ah, I know how they did it. And as soon as I figured out how they did it, I go, I also know how to stop it. I mean, obviously, if you know how, they, how it works, then you know how to stop it. So without even seeing it, um, I, I, I wrote uh, a, a tiny little program to um, identify it and remove it and put the original boot sector back. And I just, you know, I, I had no idea this is the beginning of something big. I thought this was maybe just some one-off thing. And that was called a boot sector virus. In other words, it affected the sector that bootstrapped uh, the operating system. So sector zero of, of the disk. Um, and so with the, if you have a boot sector virus, you are the first thing that, that wakes up in the computer and you have full control. Uh, a month later, someone came up with a new technique with a virus called Jerusalem, which infected applications or programs, not, not the boot sector, not the operating system, mm -hmm. but actually programs that ran. Um, and uh, when you ran an infected program, it would attach itself to every other uh, un uninfected program that ran. So, again, when that came out, I, I, again, now that I had the concept of viruses down, it took me maybe 30 seconds to figure that one out. And I wrote a little program to remove, to identify and remove that virus. And the rest is history. After that, they just started coming fast and fast and furious. Uh, and I hired a, a programmer called, uh, his name was Dennis Yell, one of the greatest programmers I've ever known, um, who took over the programming task because I was too busy now trying to figure out how to manage a business that overnight, uh, you know, was making millions of dollars a month. Uh, and I wasn't selling to individuals. We, you know, I've, I've been working in corporations long enough to know that, that uh, corporations do not want to steal, certainly not software. Now, maybe, maybe they'll steal billions of dollars, but certainly nothing, you know, the, as trivial as software. Uh, so I've, I gave it away free to individuals, knowing that if they used it at home, they would take it into work, which everybody did. Um, and every day companies were calling me saying, uh, we, gee, we don't have this happen. We just did an audit and we found 5,000 copies of your software, uh, on our computers. And I said, well, no problem. Just take it off and, and please send me the audit of removing it. Well, that's going to cost a hundred dollars per computer at least. Or I said, or just, just send me $10 for every computer that it's on. Well, everybody chose the second. <laughs> oh my um, God! Yeah. Smart. And then, and then, and then, uh, and I said, and I'll give you a two-year license renewable. Right. Um, and and so that was not much of a hard sell because I knew uh, here was one. Okay, so Ford Motors, uh, they had fifty thousand computers. Wow. Uh, my software was on every single one, and I said, well, you yeah, know, just just audit the removal. Now that's that would be you know something like five million dollars. Yeah. To do that. Um, and or I'll give you a, a site license for an unlimited number of, of computers for hundred thousand dollars. That, that's the first time I tried that, and they said done. Wow. So, um, so yeah, we were making an absolute fortune, and we only had three. We only had three people in the company. We had no salesman, um, and uh, every day I was just taking massive numbers of checks to the bank. Yeah. Just so in the moment that you were just sitting there, maybe you sat back in your chair and you're like. Holy shit. 
Like, this is really happening. Like, I don't even know what that feels like. Did you, like, what was going through your head in that moment? Yeah, when you realize you're starting some sort of revolution on the internet. Well, you know, that, that it, it occurred to me only gradually. I mean, if, if you're in the middle of something like uh, of, of, of a war with virus writers, Got okay? It. And, um, you know, I've, there were only four companies, and I had 87% of the world market. Why? Because I, you know, everybody, I was handing it out for free, um, virtually, and, and only selling it to corporations, and only after they had called me um, about, you know, the fact that we've got all these, we didn't know how it happened, some employee brought it in, um, and so on. So I, I, I didn't really pay much attention to anything that was happening outside of trying to keep up with the thousands wow. of virus writers who are getting more and more sophisticated every day. So in terms of, of, of feeling the revolution, um, even though I was part of it, uh, I, I did not see the, uh, the import of it until Mark Andreessen came out with Netscape. Wow, um, yes. I use Netscape. I remember Netscape. I remember it too. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so, but, uh, and so... You know, I, I called Mark and I said, can we sit down? Because this concept of a browser was like, uh, this is too strange. I mean, it was just, it was so simple. So obviously simple, but yet no one, had, no one had thought about it before. Interesting. Um, and so, you know, I sat down with Mark and convinced him to put uh, uh, links for, um, for apps that could, you know, control uh, Netscape. Uh, because I, I, at that time, had a, a company called Tribal Voice. Uh, we had we developed the first instant messaging product, and you know we were we were sort of you know feeling our oats. Um, but when Netscape came out, I go, "Good God Almighty, we can really do some stuff." So um, wow. Mark Andreessen changed the world uh, with that simple program that has without without Netscape, there would be no internet. I, I I think I think you're right. I mean, I remember when that came out. It it's simply like you you back then computers were more difficult, right? But he he thought ahead like we need to simplify it. He uh, yes, absolutely. Up a window. Because when I, when I first talked to him, I said it's a, it's a, it's so because I had see, I was running one of the largest bulletin board systems in the world. That's how I distributed my software. Right. You know, before the internet, the bulletin boards were the way of of communication, and um, I ran a very um, you know, famous one called Homebase, uh, and I had 32 dedicated phone lines coming in, and I was running TBS, which is a, a, a bulletin board system uh, built by a gentleman uh, out in Utah, and uh, I thought that was the bee's knees. But I understood <laughs> communication as you log on uh, to a phone line, uh, and then you stay there until you finish your business, right? So right. I said, well. How, how do you how do you support all these logins? He said, there's, there's, the login is a momentary thing. Uh, you log in, ask for the page, you log out. I go, no way. <laughs> <laughs> no way. That's he goes, yes, it's very simple. And I go, good God, I've never thought of that. And, and since you didn't have to actually dial up a phone number, there was no lost time that and the locking in and locking out function it was just it was just a protocol of shaking hands. So when I understood that, then I saw exactly where the internet was going, because browsing and the internet took one of our greatest problems away. 
that is dead bandwidth for people to <laughs> logging into some modem and staying there for five hours doing next to nothing. So no, you just you just sort of in, in a few milliseconds did your work, went away, and that bandwidth was free for anybody else who wanted to to access that same page or any other page on the web. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Thanks so, for sharing. Yeah, because that. that's I'm very into internet history and, and that just like blew my mind. And it's excellent to hear from your mouth about how Netscape really helped change the way we use the internet today, which I think. Oh, absolutely. Mark Andreessen was so fucking brilliant wow. uh, because he ran bulletin board systems as well, you know, um, and um, so, I, you know, we were all sort of full of ourselves back then and, <laughs> and you know, bulletin boards were all the rage and if you ran a big one like I did, then, you know, you were a popular dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. So, Obviously, the rest at that point is history. You you've been away from from McAfee Antivirus for a while, um, uh, for a long time. And I I come from comedy. Andy and I are from here in here in Hollywood, and, and we, I come from comedy. And I just want to say your video that you put out on YouTube for how to uninstall McAfee Antivirus is probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I just wanted to, was, was that your idea? Was that somebody? Oh yeah, it? absolutely. Well, here's here's why because. I was being totally trashed by the media right, with right. All, all sorts of character assassination. I thought, well, Jesus, I can assassinate myself far better than you bastards. <laughs> that is, um, you know. So if 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 you think you know I, I'm I'm a drug addict, well then listen, I'm going to put uh, you know have powder all up my nose and over my face, you know. Yeah. I, if you think I'm paranoid, then I'm going to show you what paranoia is. Where that scene where I go, yes, it's always there, it's watching me. You know, um, and, you know, so, so, yeah, I was just making fun by um, exaggerating yes. the accusations that the, the media was making. Which, which was brilliant. Uh, I, I don't even know how. I mean, that was beautiful. I loved it. Uh, I recommend everybody go out there and watch that video if you have not seen it. It's called How to Uninstall McAfee Antivirus. Yeah, it's right there. On and, and some people are really pissed off because they go there. Hoping because McAfee antivirus is pretty fucking impossible to install. Yes, pretty, it's yes. pretty tough. Um, so, uh, listen, I had nothing to do with that program after I left. Yeah, absolutely. And and I left because I was no longer having fun. I mean, the company had grown into this monster. I spent all of my time dealing with stockholders, boards of directors, personnel issues. Well, hell, that's not very much fun. Uh, and I did not have the time to dedicate to my passion, which is technology, programming, and, and, and computers. So I go, you know, I don't, I don't like doing this. I'm not going to. So I, I just quit. Well, I mean, it's kind of like the American dream is to, you know, you, you work and you are happy where you work at, if, if that's a possible Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. But, but that, that, that workplace changes as yeah. you become successful. And the demands change and become a lot more mundane or complex or insoluble and the things that you love are no longer available to you and instead the things that are you know immensely boring or so or so uh freezing uh end up being your tasks well yeah interesting. so so now we'll fast forward up to what what our specialty is on the on the, on the podcast here is crypto how did you get into crypto and what what made you say yes so much to it well, a friend of mine named James Zoromsky, okay, very, and he, he was a programmer that worked for me, and I just can't remember where. Oh, at McAfee. 
Okay. So, uh, so uh, James Zerlonsky, um called me up and said he was into mining. I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Going mining, you know, <laughs> you've given up on technology and you're digging for gold. <laughs> you know. Um, so, so explained it to me. It didn't. It didn't sound very interesting. Um, but he sent me the Satoshi's white paper, which I read. And as soon as I read it, I go, "Holy shit! I get this. Okay, oh, I God. can see where this is going." And also, this is Pandora's box. Right. Once you open it, it is not going to get back inside. No matter what governments attempt to do, no matter what anybody does, Pandora's box is open, and it's going to swarm all over the world. So I saw both of those things and have been an adherent ever since. Uh, while I was at uh, MGT, I was uh, one of the world's largest miners. We had thousands of uh, Bitmain's uh, S9 ant miners. Um, I'm very good friends with uh, Jihan Wu, which is one of the most maligned men in the industry. He's, yeah. he's actually he is actually so humble and so brilliant that you know it's it's tragic that people do not understand him. I'm also friends with Roger Ver, who also is you know very uh, heavily maligned mm -hmm. uh, because of his um, position on Bitcoin Cash and his outspoken nature. Yeah. You know, I, did, I, did, I never understood what was special about Roger. I mean, because uh, I'd never actually seen him speak until last year um, when they canceled the Beijing uh, conference because of China's uh, legal stance on, on uh, cryptocurrency. And it went to Hong Kong and Roger showed up. Good God, when he's on stage, and the man is magic. I mean, he is one of the most charismatic speakers I've ever seen. So I understand now, you know, some people come alive when they when they do their work and and his work is proselytizing to the masses. Yeah, he's definitely he's out. He has a way with uh, he has a gift of gab. He has a way with people. He has, it's really interesting uh, uh, how that can definitely affect your position or, or how you can help influence or, or educate people. So he's doing that as aspect. And uh, I actually have a question, John. Uh, I know that you 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 know you you say projects that you like and you know how does someone look for the maybe the altcoins that have that might be red flags for people like what do you look for so that that tell you wait this project seems like it's going in the right direction there's good people behind it what what are your your little pinpoints that you look for in projects okay number one the team okay uh, is the first thing is, uh, have these people been scamming people all their lives, or is this the first time? Because most of the ICOs, literally, well over half, are just outright scams. Uh, people who absolutely have no intention of delivering what they say, um, and, and are going to take the money and buy a yacht and disappear off the coast of Spain. Um, and, and so the team, you know, we, we, we started auditing uh, everything about ICOs that we worked with. The team, number one. Uh, the extreme examples, uh, there was one called Phenacoin, where every single member of the team was a fabricated name. Uh, oh none of those God. people really existed. The photographs were real, um, but uh, the, the people were not. They just, you know, the, they took photographs of, you know, just random people and said this is so-and-so, he's a CEO, manufactured a, a spectacular background, and, and, and that's one extreme. Um, on the other end, there are people who, who really have a brilliant idea, 
and who have no intention of scamming and every intention of delivering, but simply can't do it because they do not have the talent. Right? Now, that's very difficult to tell somebody that, you know, we're not going to get involved because we don't think you're talented enough to do it. And, and we certainly don't say it in that way. Um, but people are frequently biting off way, way more than they can chew. I mean, like yeah, a, a, a time machine would be a great thing, wouldn't it? But yeah. I, I don't think I would invest in any company that's going to build one. Um, so, so these are the things. The, the next thing is, is what they're doing something that I personally want to see in the world. Is it going to benefit me, my children, my grandchildren? Um, is it going to be either fun or is it going to be um, uh, enlightening, educational? Uh, will it ease our lives in some way? So if it's not something that I would like to buy myself or use myself, then it's not something I invest in because I, I can't, you know, if, if I can't get excited for me, how can I get excited for your potential customers? Right. Um, I guess I, I could be honest. Like, uh, I think a lot of people, even some people that think they understand crypto really well, have been scammed before. Um, do, have you felt, have you ever been, do you think you've ever been scammed before? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's hard not to. And, and, and this is why we, we started doing our audits. Um, I was scammed on one on a company that, I can't even remember the name of it now, but we've seen so many of them, uh, that, uh, that put me in touch with um, their, their lead programmer, who was brilliant. You know, we had great technical um, conversations, and they answered every question promptly and um, uh, coherently and completely. And I thought, good God, yeah, this is going to succeed. Well, that guy didn't work for that company. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, no, I found out later. It was just, you know, they put me in touch with a really smart dude um, who was just part of the scam. And um, I see. so, so yeah, I was, I was, I was scammed. Yeah. And if I can be scammed, anybody can. Anyone can, yeah. So, yeah, but, but here's the thing about crypto. You know, you have to take responsibility for your own decisions yep. and your own actions. Uh, you, and you have to use your head. Um, and you can't expect the government or anyone else to protect you and look, look out for your mistakes. Yeah, I guess to yeah. add to that, I, I, what do you think about, I mean, how far along are we really? How is this infancy of crypto still? I mean, I feel like we're still in this far infancy or it's starting to starting to blow up a little bit. But I mean, do you think we're still in the infancy of it all? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we're not even to the point where we are using the um, the function uh, uh, cryptocurrencies for their intended purpose. Um, for, for example, one of my favorite uh, uh, potential coins was a thing called Outings. Um, it was an application um, and, and a, a coin uh, for people who wanted to go for an outing uh, with their family, like maybe to the city. And maybe you want to see street musicians, which is one of my favorites. And right. if you're in L, if you're in LA, they're they're everywhere, but you can't seem to find them when you want to, can you? Um, you <laughs> right, know, you, exactly. You, you, so, but you like them. So, if if there were you know thousands of people in LA using this app, uh, every time you pass some form of entertainment, you would just push the button and say, "Street musician here, saxophone player, move on." 
Um, and, um, and, and also if anybody wants to know where it is, I'll sell it for 10 outings. Uh, the concept was spectacular. I mean, wouldn't that make entertainment so much easier? Or if you're in a bar and you see Tom Cruise, you can say, Hey, if anybody wants to, you know, be in a bar with Tom Cruise, Cruise in the same place, uh, I'll sell you the name of the bar and location for a thousand outings or whatever. So it, it would, it, it could have enhanced our lives, but nobody used it. Huh, nobody yeah. used the app. No, they, they saved the coins and, and um, uh, were disappointed when the price went down. Well, good God. You know, that's a, that is a travesty. Right. So, yeah, yes, we're in the infancy. We, we have got to start using the blockchain uh, for things other than, you know, the supply chain problem uh, or banking and start seeing how it can truly enhance our lives and utilize it like that. But right now, everybody's so a gung-ho to make a quick buck that, you know, rather than log in, take the time, use the coin, it's, well, let's just save it and see if we make some money. Yeah, and that's and that's what we try to say on this on this podcast often is one we don't talk price ever because we will never be able to predict it. We're not we're not that side of the of the crypto space, but we do like to look into the technology, look beh- uh, look behind the people, you know, behind the the mask, see who's working it, see who's starting it, see their history, so on and so forth. So thank you for essentially validating how we kind of do the things as well. Um, now I know you are a libertarian, and so you are completely against any sort of regulation but uh so, absolutely so regulation aside what do you think is going to be required mass uh, in order for mass adoption to happen are we going to have to uh just stop hodling essentially stop holding it all and or or and, and use it or or is there something else besides that well i mean certain coins i think would be far more useful and valuable if we just use them and and didn't didn't worry about trading them uh, things like uh, Docademic, uh, the uh, the free medical app. What a spectacular idea that's being adopted all over the world. Um, so, uh, and and people are in fact using that. Now, why should we? Why should we simultaneously have to make money off of something, which provides such a um, a, a needed service uh, to parts of the world that, that simply have no access to medicine? Um, so yes, it's it's not just we just, we stop holding, but we we don't even look at the the coin uh, as something that will grow in value. Instead, something that we can have fun using, or there's a utility to it. Absolutely, so, yeah. I think that's. I think 2017, we had an influx of new people that looked at price first and did not get educated enough on technology. And I think for mass adoption to happen, like you said. Uh, you got to understand the technology and then see the projects that are actually using it on an everyday basis. Um, and I think I think that's the nail in the coffin for trying to like push it. And Daniel and I on the show, we try to push it. Um, and, and there's not enough people are. That I just think, what do you think about all the people that just don't are trading these coins and they might not even know what they're trading? Yeah, I don't know what to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really okay. Don't. I mean, that's that's. If it. someone just says, hey. Uh, you know, uh, buy the buy this three letter item uh, it's going to go up and they don't have a clue yeah, so th- that's a very dangerous uh, position to be in because I, I think long-term investing has always been the the quickest road to wealth but when you do long-term investing you pick and choose carefully you you you, you understand how the 
product or the company fits in with the changing world and the changing environment. And, uh, you know, you, uh, then you, you choose accordingly. Uh, and no one's doing that. Yeah. Right. And I mean, we're trying hard to push that, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to even get people to think that way, you know? But, um, but one of the things that I, I also know that needs to happen is, uh, is, is ease of use. You know, how, how customer friendly is this, is this new technology? And one of those things that's difficult is hardware wallets, hardware, everything. So you have BitFi now. Yes. Um, and so I was wondering, because uh, it made it's definitely made the news recently. So uh, I wanted to know if you could explain what what Bitfi is and and explain what's going on in the news right now. Okay, so you know, Bitfi is a very controversial thing because it's 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 a brand new concept in hardware wallets mm -hmm. where we don't store anything. Um, why? Because the blockchain stores everything, right? Uh, why should we duplicate uh, what is in an immutable ledger, all right? So um, our wallet does nothing more than take a passphrase that the user chooses themselves, some 30-character phrase that you cannot forget, okay? Maybe it's your social security number, the name of your children spelled backwards, a combination of things, but something you can't, you can't forget. Because seed keys... If you have to memorize something, I promise you, you, you will forget it. Yeah. Whereas, oh, if some, if, whereas if something is just in your memory because of experience, then you're not going to forget that. Um, and so it, it takes that passphrase and generates a unique set of seed keys uh, and creates that wallet. Uh, but when you access it, there's nothing on the hardware or on our servers or anywhere else that stores either the seed keys or the passphrase. Uh, as such, there's there's really nothing to hack. Now, of course, yeah, you can you can hack the wallet. You could steal somebody's wallet, hack it, and do all sorts of things. As people have used it to play music, um, to play games, big deal. You still can't get the coins out of it. And if someone steals your wallet, get another one, and it will it will do the same thing with your passphrase. So, you know, all, all these people says, yeah, we hacked it. Well, yeah, I guess you did. If you got root access, did you get the coins? No, not possible. So I think it is the most secure device out there. Now, you're relying on your own memory. If you yes. have brain, uh, you know, uh, some sort of brain damage, mm -hmm. then, then obviously you're going to lose, you're going to lose your, the coins and, and whatever wallet it's in. Um, but you know, is, is that the biggest problem you have? No, I mean, people are, you know, uh, with, with, you know, completely intact brains losing money because their money's on an exchange or on a software wallet, which is hacked or, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big problem. So anyway, I, I think we have the best solution for people who are responsible. And again, we're, we're still gonna, we still are offering a quarter of a million dollars to anybody who can take the coins off of that wallet. And the conditions are you buy the wallet from us, we preload it with coins, with Bitcoins. We send you the wallet. You can do anything you want. You can use our servers. You can, you know, whatever. And you've got the wallet in your hands. And if you get the coins, we'll give you the money. But no one will. Wow, okay. And, and the good thing about, because like, it sounds very similar to a brain wallet that uh, 
that you some people can make. Uh, but it's good because that phrase, you can tell your loved ones that something happened to you. You can tell those who you care about who yes. you want to pass your money on to. Yes, well. absolutely. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that one. Uh, so um, I want to break away a little bit because, again, we are here in L.A. and we love we love movies and TV shows. So you are. Is it true you're making a movie, uh, a movie in which Johnny Depp is playing you? Uh, I'm not making it. Or something about me. It's about it's, your it's deadline. About me, yes, I think but deadline. I'm, not, I'm not making it. No. Okay. So so are you, um, so did you authorize this at all? I don't have to. I mean, this is this is America. Right? Yeah, no, they're getting they can it, make a biopic about anyone in Hollywood. Pretty. Yeah, much. I mean, if 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 you are a public figure, anybody can do or say anything they want. They you can't even get people for slander or libel if you're a public figure, because the the assumption of law is that well, you, know, you should expect that because of of your position. So, um, so no, they could I, they didn't need my my authorization. Oh, wow. and, okay. You know, because I know you wanted. I know you were uh, trying to back Morgan Freeman to play you, which I say absolutely. I was actually. That would be I'm, awesome. Seriously. Can you tell but, us? Okay, uh, tell us why you think Morgan Freeman would be better. I, I would just love. And and what are your thoughts on Johnny Depp playing you? Yeah. Of course. Uh, you know, I like Johnny Depp. I, I don't, I'm not sure if he has the depth of character <laughs> to pull this one off. Uh, but Morgan Freeman, for a whole bunch of reasons, I think you know he, uh, from what I see of him from his acting talents, I don't know him personally. Um, an excellent actor. His voice is, is uh, similar to mine. And I, I think his personality is similar. Okay. That's a good, that's a good reason. I like I, that. And I loved your justification. I saw it on Twitter that it's like it's not about somebody looking like you. It's about somebody who can be you. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so do you think I, – I know I, I want to ask you what do you th- – because I, I have a feeling they're going to try to portray you like they did you know, in the documentary Gringo. And I had a question what you thought of that portrayal of yourself in the documentary, if you don't mind. I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen Gringo. I mean uh, I've lived my life. I don't want to spend two hours <laughs> uh, watching my life through somebody else's eyes. I mean what, what nonsense is that? So I point. haven't seen it. That's a good point. Got it. Okay, so so you have no clue as to what they're what uh what they're going to do. No, people have told me, but but I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, and um, again, they uh, they never even interviewed me for it because I would not. I mean, I knew that Nanette Burstein and Jeff Wise, who were you know uh, enemies of mine for for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, were not going to treat me well, so I, I didn't bother cooperating. Okay, Makes fair sense. enough. Absolutely um, fair enough. And uh, we kind of understand that because I come from a Hollywood field. It's a, it's an interesting, weird. It's a place, you know, where they'll make anything about you. You never know, really. And if you're not a part of the project, it's hard to see the other side. So I understand that. And I actually want to move on because I want to talk to you a little bit about first of all your your presidency run that you're going to be doing soon, and then of course I want to talk to you about the first run. And if you were okay to share that with people about what you went through to try to, I think. Uh, you did not win the uh, libertarian vote, um, but anything you could share on the whole on the first run you on tried? your experience? Yeah, um, it it was a very painful experience. Not because I lost or anything. I, I um, you know, I, I really didn't want to win. I wanted just to get the stage, so that I could talk about things which I I thought uh, we were ignoring as a society and and were very important to our future and the future of our children. And so I I got to do that. You know, I, I came very close um, yeah. to, yeah, um, absolutely. you know, I mean, for, for a neophyte. Now, Gov- you know, Governor Johnson had that entire election wired. He knew it. Um, 
But politics is a very dirty affair. Um, <laughs> I, fortunately, I, fortunately, I'm very forthcoming about my life. And, you know, I've, I've done nothing I'm ashamed of, uh, nothing that I regret. And, um, you know, if, if you want to know what I've done, I'd be more than happy to tell you. So uh, in, in all of the debates and the first times that I talked, I just sort of unworthed myself. You know, people, people were just couldn't wait to uh, talk about my past drug abuse and, and even drug dealings and my time in jail. So that's what I opened my discussions with. Who am I? You know, I've, I've, I've been uh, in, in, uh, I've been incarcerated 17 times for offenses ranging from et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and once, once you've done that, well, what can they do? I mean, yeah. you've already you've already said it, so very much like to that. come up and say, "Hey, I, let me tell you something about Mr. McAfee." You go, well, "Well, he told us that." Yeah, yeah, very so, much, very much the way your YouTube video did about how to uninstall and and yeah, absolutely. You know, don't you know you can't run from yourself, uh, and if you accept yourself, then everybody else has to too. <laughs> now, I was curious because I mean, you you've. Uh, You've seen, you've been with the higher echelon people before. I wanted to know what your what your view of, on Trump was before the presidency, before, like before he became president, and and how you feel about him now. Well, I never met Trump either before or after he became president. Okay. Um, I, I've spoken to a number of his, um, um, you know, the people working for him on on security issues since he's been president, but but never met the man. So, you know. I think any any entrepreneur uh, understands life a little bit better than uh, a career politician or uh, anyone who does not have to um, fend for themselves in uh, in the scraping together of a living. In other words, there is nothing. Uh, you know, there's no job, no desk, no no guaranteed salary. Um, you're just trying something out. Uh, the chances are you're going to lose, uh, and you may try three or four times before you win. Um, but it, it takes a special type of person, and that type of person is um, generally more more self-aware, more realistic, um, and and the type of person that uh, you would want to run a country. So, you know, given the fact that he was a successful entrepreneur, well, I think that's a good thing. Uh, he's arrogant. Well, that's turning out to be a good thing because uh, I think America, American presidents were, were way too accommodating for the past, you know, 10 or 20 years. So, um, uh, you know, let's give him a chance and see what happens. And so, so and the, and but beforehand, prior to him, did you did you have that same opinion on on him, or, or has that changed since he became president? Well, I mean, I, I kind of anticipated that if he did become president, he would act just the way he has been acting. Uh, you know, he's he's running the country like a business, which it should be, um, and uh, you know, he he's trying to keep his word. He's not afraid of anybody. And um, so I anticipated, if he did become president, that, that he would act in this way, and, and he has. Um, is, he, is he going to be a good, a good president, a bad one? I have no clue. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think he, 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 what you see is what you get with Trump. Yep, I, I think so. So let's, let's focus on uh, 
are you ex so how do you feel i guess are you excited about your next campaign um coming up like and what, what, what issues are you trying to bring up yeah what what is your main stance for this next run if you have anything on the surface well, yet i'm not going to be talking about cryptocurrencies and about the uh potential okay. for freeing uh the average citizen from the uh, pyramid uh, power structure that has ingrained itself and has been perpetuating itself. And why is it perpetuating itself? Because if you get the money, you become powerful. If you become powerful, you have the ability to control the flow of that, of that money, of the fiat. Uh, and so the corruption is that the people in power stay in power either themselves or their relatives or their friends or their cronies uh, or someone who thinks like them. Um, and that's not good for anybody. It's not. Mm -hmm. That's sort of like an oligarchy. Um, instead, with cryptocurrency, you know, we are all equal, literally. We don't, we don't answer to anybody. Um, it is a permissionless system. I don't have to get the approval of the bank or I don't have to go down and, and fill out paperwork to wire money. I get to do whatever I damn well please. Permissionless is the key. And I think that that's a very powerful uh, concept and a very powerful tool. And I want to see the world adopted. So uh, I'm going to use, I'm going to use that, the, the platform and, and the PR to promote that idea. I think that's a great way. And we need someone like you in a high position to help kind of get it out to the general public a little bit more about what, what is cryptocurrency? What, what does it mean for us for using it? And the, the advancement of how we live our lives without a third party, like you were saying. Um, and that actually, John, I have one more question for you, which kind of leads into is the future for cryptocurrency. I know it's a general question. But where do you honestly see it in the next, like, 20 years? Uh, where do you see it going? Well, I, I think that, that fiat currency 20 years from now will not exist anymore. I mean, it's too slow, too clunky, too, too archaic, uh, too meaningless uh, compared to the power uh, of cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and even today, you have, you know, 11-year-old uh, boys or, and girls uh, creating ERC-20 tokens with their name, uh, the Billy Smith token. Why? Because the kid happens to have enough influence uh, or whatever to, to actually get people to start using his coin. Well, I think that's great. There are people who say we have too many coins. That's utter fucking nonsense. Do we have too many websites? Do we have too many names? Do we have too many individuals? Why can't everybody have their own? Now, there won't be much value to most of them, but some, maybe, yes. So I, I think it's going to become universal that fiat will die. Governments will completely uh, have to transform themselves into much more efficient entities because the collecting of taxes will no longer be possible. Um, because, you know, for a fact, if you're using a privacy coin and, you know, the privacy coins will eventually take the lead, um, and the government cannot, under any circumstances, find out who's making what money, you're, you're liable to cheat on your taxes. In fact, I can almost guarantee it. And so income taxes will no longer be the main source of revenue, and I'll have to find something else.
Yeah. I, I mean, that's what we were all hoping for. And I think that I, I could see it. Daniel, how do you feel about it? Like, I uh, see it, and John sees it. How do you feel? Yeah, that's, I, def- I definitely see the same thing as well. I'm a bit more curious about the more immediate future. What do you think is going to happen in the next four or five years with cryptocurrency? Well, I think, I think that we will see, first of all, a massive devaluation of all fiat currencies, including the, the U.S. dollar. Uh, which will inherently uh, uh, value uh, fiat. I think that uh, coins will shift more and more into the privacy realm because when people start understanding that if you're using Bitcoin or Ethereum or most of the other currencies, that, yes, you have some anonymity, but once you buy something or um, sell something and someone has your wallet ID, then I, I can look at that and find out how much you have in there, mm-hmm. uh, how much you're getting, uh, where it's going. Uh, that, that's like someone being able to get into your bank account and watch everything that you do. And I think when people understand the implications of that, they will start moving to privacy coins. Um, and the, um, the movement will, well, I think will happen very, uh, very profoundly and in a large way within the next year or so. Okay. Um, and that's going to change the landscape. How it's going to change it, I cannot tell you. But it will, it will have a major impact on, on a lot of things. For example, how, how secure we feel in ourselves uh, about cryptocurrency and the fact that, hey, you know, I really am anonymous now. Um, that, that's a very empowering uh, epiphany. I, have, um, I, I think that's beautiful what you said. And I have one question. It's kind of fun. Who's Satoshi Nakamoto? Who do you think? I have no clue. <laughs> you know, we have an entire community of, of fairly clever hackers uh, that are sometimes, you know, um, problematic and, and other times helpful, uh, called anonymous. Anonymity. It does two things. Uh, it, it emboldens people. That's why we have uh, trolls and, and haters <laughs> on systems because no one knows who the fuck you are. So you can say anything you want. Uh, but beyond the emboldening, uh, it also empowers. And it's the empowerment that, um, that we all need, all of us. Yeah. Well, wonderful. John, I, I can't thank you so much for taking the time and giving our audience almost like a little bit of history to you. And I, I hope you appreciate that. I appreciate it, sharing that story uh, about how you started, your upbringing, all the way to your presidency run. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, sir, and, and thank you for, uh, for having me. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, the time passed very uh, quickly, and, and um, it was a, a blast. Yeah, thank we had a great you. time. Thank you so much. And if you ever have anything else you want to sh- say to us, tell us any time you want to come on back, let us know. Yeah, we'd like to shake hands in person one day. That would be great. <laughs> that would be a, a, good, a good thing. Um, uh, obviously, official Ma- McAfee for Twitter, right, uh, uh, yes. John? Um, and then uh, is it bit? Uh, what bitfi dot com, correct? Um, it's uh, yeah, bitfi dot com is the hardware wallet, and and ignore the uh, the wrath of, of hackers. I knew I knew when we said it was unhackable, it would <laughs> it would cause a lot of people to be very angry. But listen, uh, you know I'm also a marketeer, and the uh, the biggest uh, um, secret in marketing is. Um, uh, you know, either contradiction or conflict. 
uh, I'm uh, I'm well versed in creating both. So uh, we, the, the conflict bought eyeballs. And as long as you're you're truly um, uh, secure in your belief in your product, then it's a good thing. Yeah, and I am secure. Again, uh, I thank you for coming on the show. Uh, the Coin Boys podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. But you can find the episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Uh, again. Enjoy the rest of your day, John. Actually, I'd love to ask you to just hang on. We're going to end the show, and we'd just like to, to thank you off, off the air as well. So thanks again. All right. You bet. I'll say thanks. Peace.